You're going to get your best deal going and looking at it in person and building the relationship. I'm a big proponent of go and get your eyes on the property because there are so many things that you're not going to see unless you're there. And the relationship. You can't have as good of a relationship over the phone. You can't. It's impossible. But you go and you see somebody in person and you see their face. You start building a relationship with them. The guard comes down and you can get a better deal. The Deal Machine REI Podcast. Everything you need to know to get started in real estate investing. Hey everyone, thanks for joining the Deal Machine Real Estate Investing Podcast. I am your host, co-host Ryan Haywood with me, David Lecco, and today we are going to talk about setting appointments and how to be effective at setting appointments, what to do, what to look for, what to ask, and how to build a bridge between what you want and what the seller wants and how to intermingle those two things. Uh, David. Yeah, I've got this feeling in my stomach when you're talking about an appointment that actually makes me feel nervous, like, mm. oh, I'm going to mess up and I'm tiptoeing around what I'm saying with the seller. Is there a way you can get rid of that feeling for me? No. In fact, I think the best thing to do with that feeling is to just accept that feeling because that just portrays you to, as a genuine person. You have a feeling, a nervousness about presenting uh, an offer or talking to someone about their situation, and that can that can bring emotions into it. And emotions are fine. Emotions are good. It shows that you're authentic and not uh, just in it for yourself. You and and I think that the best deals can come from a point of of sincere help, um, especially when you're working with sellers that that do have a point of distress. Yes, because one of the things I realize is I can't do this deal unless I do get it for a good price. Right, and so that makes me feel uncomfortable with my typical willingness and interest in helping somebody because it feels like there's a conflict of interest there. How do you deal with that? I know you're going on an appointment today. I am. I am. Um, you know, I can go back a little bit to past appointments. Um, and I've always known like going into the deal, you kind of do a little bit of research and a little bit of prep. So you have an idea of what you want your asking price to be. But something that I have learned in in the process of doing as many as I have done, the presentation of your offer does not get easier. You feel a little bit more comfortable in doing it, but a lot of times your offer price is, in some ways in your mind, might seem offensive. It's calculated. You know how you're getting there, and you can explain that. And as long mm -hmm. as you're doing that, as long as you're prepared to explain how you got to your position or how you got to your number, that in and of itself helps alleviate it. It doesn't make the ease any any easier. It doesn't make delivering a, a low asking price or a low offer any easier, but at least it becomes a little bit smoother when you can say, the reason I'm here is because of this, this, and this. This is, this is how I got to this number. Um, that doesn't mean that that's gonna. They're gonna say yes, but the many times I have I've walked in properties and I'm just like, oh man, 
Yeah, so that actually helps me out and something that I do and explains it because I know that in order for me to get a deal as an investor and to make the deal work, meaning that if it's a rental property, it's going to cash flow and make me money instead of suck money from my bank account every month, is that I've gone through a logical process of seeing what houses like this are worth in perfect condition, subtract the repair cost, subtract what my profit should be for actually doing this work and managing it and make sure it goes successfully and then presenting it to the seller and in, 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 in that way, right? That way I'm not just offending them by giving them an offer for $4,000 on their house. They can see how I calculated it and why I'm giving that. And that at least get, that makes me feel good um, that I'm being really transparent with why I'm giving that offer. So yeah, transparency and authenticity are, I, I mean, you just, you can't go wrong with, with those two things when you're being um, deceitful or you're coming from a position of me, that is, that is so evident. In most cases, people know that I feel it in a, in a point where even sometimes sellers are in that position where they are the ones that are being uh, deceiving. You know, they'll, you'll ask questions leading up to the appointment. Well, what's the condition of this? What's the condition of this? Oh, it's great. Everything's good. It's, it's ready to go. But then I show up to the appointment and everything is good and ready to go from 1970. <laughs> so in a in a perspective of when they put the house together, yeah, it was, it was great. But in order for me to do something with this and make this a good deal, I would have to do this, this, and this. Mm -hmm. So sometimes the shoe's on the other foot. But in our roles and in our responsibility of putting offers together and going on appointments, just be real. Just it's okay to show the emotion of this is uncomfortable. I don't like giving this offer. This is not a fun offer to make. Um, especially when you know that they are wanting a lot more than you're going to offer. Like that yeah. does not feel good no matter what. So the step right before getting onto an appointment is usually like getting a phone call, right? And, and you're a firm believer. I've heard you say this that you need to go and see the house. You yeah. said nobody likes receiving a lowball offer. And the biggest thing that you can do to build rapport and also see what the true condition of the house is, you know, you can't take their word for it that it's all ready to go, is by actually getting there, spending some time with them and spending some time in the house, right? Yeah, you're going to get your best deal of going and looking at it in person and building the relationship or putting a, a bridge between their point of distress and your point of interest. Like you have to build a bridge between those things. I have heard sometimes that gap is pretty huge, you know, sometimes it's pretty far apart, but acknowledging, Hey, where you are and where I am is pretty large. Can we, is there a way that we can kind of close that in a little bit because I can't make a deal where you're at and you can't make a deal where I'm at. Mm -hmm. So but th those are questions that you can't really ask without being there, you know, without mm -hmm. seeing it. And I know a lot of people do it remotely and that has its, its, its place in this wholesale and real estate world. But I'm a big proponent of go and get your eyes on the property. Cause there are so many things that you're not going to see unless you're there and the relationship, you can't have as good of a, relationship over the phone you can't it's impossible or just texting but you go and you see somebody in person and you see their face you start 
building a relationship with them, the guard comes down and you can get a better deal. Right. So we know it's important to go on an appointment because we want to build rapport with the seller and it's a great opportunity to do that. And we also want to verify the exact condition of things in the house. And there's no better way of doing that than if you're right there in person. So I know you've got an appointment coming up today, Ryan. I do. Tell me about how that's going to go. So yesterday afternoon, I got a phone call from a postcard, uh, which is not an uncommon adventure. Um, so asking questions immediately, the guy's like, hey, I got a postcard in the mail um, saying you're interested in the house. The very first thing I ask, can I get the address? Um, and uh, so then I just say, hey, can you tell me a little bit about the house? And I immediately start getting some information automatically because I know the the area that I live in pretty well. He tells me the address and I know I have a house like three or four doors down. So I know exactly where this place is located. I know exactly which house it is. And I'm really excited that he called because I've been eyeballing this place for since we started, I've had my eyes on it. Why? The roof is in horrible condition. So I ask a couple qualifying questions. What's, what's the condition of the house? It's pretty good, but he willingly acknowledged the roof is bad. The roof needs to be replaced. Um, but then in the conversation, it also comes out that there's a house behind it that he owns, and he would like to get rid of that one as well. So this is an option for me to pick up two properties. Um, both are rented. We know the, that both are distressed. We don't know what distressed really means. He gave me a very vague, it, they need some updates. If it's anything like the roof, we might be in a, a significant rehab kind of position because the roof is just super old. So today I'm going there at three o'clock. Um, I'm going to do my typical walk through the house, observe what I can see. Um, he's got these properties rented. Are they the standard of rent that I'm comfortable with? If they're not, what dollar amount is going to get them there? Um, so those are the types of things I'm looking at. I'm checking the water heater. I'm checking the furnace. I'm checking the electrical because those are all big ticket items that are going yeah. to factor in in this price. So um, one of the things when I was, when, when you're saying this, you're like, you're checking the water heater, you're checking this, you're checking that. That actually makes me a little bit nervous whenever I'd go to an appointment and be like, oh, okay, there's no way I'm going to remember to check everything. I don't even know what I'm looking for. And one way that I combated that in my very first appointment was, uh, you know, he, he called me back after receiving like seven postcards. He's like, I would like an offer on my house. And I was like, okay, which house is it? And then he gave me the address. So I went there. I felt like I, I didn't know the entire checklist of things I should check. And so eventually I was just like, Hey, why don't you show me around and I'll take a bunch of pictures. So I took like a hundred photos of everything. I didn't even know what I was looking for, but that way I could go home, print out a checklist or whatever of rehab costs and figure it out based on, and I could reference the pictures. So I'm, I'm pretty analytical and that's how I was able to handle that. And it made the actual appointment go a lot smoother for me because I wasn't fretting about missing something and I could instead focus on just talking with Henry was his mm -hmm. name that sold me that first house that I got off market. You know what I've done? Um, and everybody's got their own method of doing these, but what I have learned is I look specifically at the big ticket items. I know HVAC is going to be an expensive fix, electrical plumbing, 
water heaters, they're not expensive, but they're pretty obvious when you know like that thing is old. A lot of times people write the dates on them or they have the dates on a placard so you know how old it is. Those are the things that I go in. When I walk a property, I'm looking for the big ticket items. I want to know the condition of the roof, the condition of the HVAC, the electrical. And in our specific city, we have, you know, everybody knows the electrical is either out of date or up to date based off of the panel. So the brand of the panel, anyway, I'm getting way deep in that, but you look at those big ticket items and then I have a general like level of distress. So, you know, it's a light rehab, it's a moderate rehab or it's a heavy rehab. And then I have a price per square footage. So I don't necessarily have to go through and be like, okay, I need, I need four. What's your price per square foot, by the way? Um, so I hit 30 per $30 a square foot, um, for a pretty moderate rehab, um, below that we right at the $20 a square foot. If it's just paint, light, you know, light fixtures, flooring, bathroom updates, and then on the heavy side, you're closer to 65, 70 a square foot. That Got may it. not be consistent with everybody's market, but that's what we've seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there was um, the the first house that I really did. Well, let me back up. This was probably the second house that I did a renovation project on, and it was 1,500 square feet. I did everything, and it was $70,000. And mm-hmm. so I did uh, a kitchen. I did two bathrooms. I did the entire house in luxury vinyl plank. And I even spent $10,000 to replace the drywall because they had smoked. And so that was really, really extensive. Um, I didn't, oh, I even did the new, I even did the roof too. Um, So it was like $46 a square foot. And so then what I realized is like, okay, that was, that was what I did for a 1500 square foot house. Now, if I have another 1500 square foot house, it's just so easy to know what it's going to cost. I don't have to worry about all of the like little intricacies um, and accounting. I just need to like generally plan for 46 bucks a square foot. Um, or if I, if I see that there's like a few things in better condition, like the walls don't need replace, uh, I can subtract, you know, $10 from that figure and come up with my estimated repair cost. And your deal should be so good that you really don't need a calculator to figure out if you're going to be like a thousand dollars over budget. If that's a problem, you should really be leaving yourself um, in my case, it created $40,000 of equity to, after I bought it for forty four, renovated it for 70000 and, um, you know, it appraised for one sixty. So that, that was just um, like two tidbits is like, well, once you do one, it's never going to be perfect, but you can estimate a lot faster, I've noticed. And then two, the deal should be so good that like, hey, you're making a sizable profit. If you go over 10000 you still make 30000 on the deal. Right. That was one thing that we struggled with at the very beginning uh, when when I first started was estimating rehab costs because I literally had no idea. The The one way that that quickly changed was doing my first property. Mm-hmm. And, and we, that was a $1,000 house. We put $55,000 into it, but I had to do a lot of the work. If I would have hired that out, it would have probably been 70. So all in... On a house that's worth ninety four, I would have been at seventy one purchase price and re- and renovation. So then it's eleven hundred square foot. 
that's going to tell you. I literally had to do all everything, new wiring, new plumbing, new HVAC, uh, floor joists, sheetrock, mm-hmm. everything. So that, that gave me my benchmark of, okay, if it's, if it's 1100 square foot and I have to go all the way, here's where I'm at. That helped. Yeah. And then we've done since we've done prop properties that, you know, just needed flooring, light fixtures, paint, and you're, you know, we've spent on a 900 square foot. We've spent 15 K. Yeah. So those are the things that you learn over time. Super helpful. And all this is to say that when you're going on an appointment, please don't let the renovation costs make you feel like you're tiptoeing around and not what to say and stressing out, you right. know, instead focus on, uh, do you take pictures, Ryan? I do. Yeah. I, okay. I usually get a picture of each room. Mm-hmm. So if there's three beds, I get a picture of each bedroom. Try to use like, depends on your phone. You know, pictures are literally one of the most important parts of this whole process because not only do you need them for information on putting your rehab budget together, but this is also how you are going to present this deal to another investor. So if you have cruddy pictures or blurry pictures, you're going to have to go back or somebody's going to say, Hey, I can't really tell based on these pictures what this right. is. So definitely in, try to get good pictures. Yeah. In the case of wholesaling, you're going to be marketing this property once Correct. you get it under contract. Um, and so anyway, really good point on that because like I said, I, I haven't wholesaled a deal. I've taken everything down myself, but it makes a ton of sense why you'd want good pictures, not only for yourself and estimating the rehab costs, but also to market this property to other investors once you get it under contract. What else yeah. are you thinking about doing when you're on an appointment? Well, you're looking at, generally I look for anything that's like a major structural issue. If there, if there's a hole in the ceiling, you probably need to look at that. If the foundation, you go into the basement and one of the walls is collapsed, you probably need to you know consider those things. Um, so do you do like, we're not, experts in construction as wholesalers you're you're looking for information that another person is going to want to know so you can walk in and the house looks great you go to the basement and the water line or there's tons of moisture in the basement so what's causing that so like those are the types of things when i say get pictures of each room if you see something that's scary looking get a picture of that too like that should be in your presentation that way it's not, you're not being, again, don't go the deceiving route of, oh yeah, everything's great. No, take some bad pictures too, because they're going to need to know rehab. They're going to need to know, okay, this foundation wall's cracked or yeah. part of it's crumbling. They're going to need to know that. Here's three crazy things that happened to me on an appointment that I wanted to tell you, Ryan, because I think it's helpful. The house isn't going to be perfect and you should be ready for the unexpected. And the biggest thing that I've never been able to get off my mind is I actually saw this guy's bathtub running because he didn't want his pipes to freeze. And I thought that was pretty wild. I hadn't been in a situation like that. I, I uh, didn't have a silver spoon growing up, but I certainly wasn't you know, in a situation where we had to do that. The mm-hmm. second one was uh, there was another house that had no furniture, no heat but the entire house was being heated with an oven and the stove. They had all four burners on and the oven. So do you think that that house really needs to be sold and fixed up so that the neighborhood is safe and doesn't catch on fire because that house caught on fire? I was like, yes, absolutely. 
And then the third thing that was crazy was a sweet lady. Um, she had a cat. It had fleas. She didn't know it. But I could see the fleas <laughs> on the cat and hopping over to my ankle. And oh, I was yeah. like, oh, my gosh, I'm just going to keep doing this because I really want to make $20,000. Yeah. And it's going to be helpful to this lady if I continue to hear her story out. And, uh, you know, I think I think one of your actual staff members had gotten a really great deal by just listening to somebody vent, right? Because a lot of the time the seller may not have somebody to talk to. And that's really, really helpful and powerful when you can listen to what they're saying, even if it has nothing to do with the house. Yeah, it's we haven't gotten the deal locked up yet. But just reviewing the call um, last night, we had heard a lady call in and originally the house was in great condition. It's in a great part of town, you know, but as about 10 minutes into the conversation, things started shifting in the conversation the the lady mentioned, yeah, I just got back home. Um, I was letting my family live in the house while I was gone and they just left it in a complete wreck. Um, later I found, and she, she says later, you know, they're one of them's in jail right now, and it's a good thing because they they were doing drugs in my house, and I'm like, man, that, that conversation shifted from my house is in great shape in a great part of town to suddenly every all of her drawers were dumped out, all of her like livable items. She had she mentioned she had a a stack of movies, DVD movies, and they'd all been opened, and the discs were thrown around the house, and there were holes in the wall, and I'm like wow, like that, the house that you're explaining now is not the same house you were explaining 10 minutes ago. But mm -hmm. for us, it was like, okay, now you have an opportunity. She's talking about the stress that, that she's dealing with right now. She just got back home. She can't live in the house because it's a complete disaster. It stinks. She's just talking about how she needs to go and get some paint to paint it because it smells so bad. And to me, I'm just like, sounds like, you should get what you want that is in the house and let me take the rest and just let's get you out of there. Like it sound, and she explained, she just wants to be done with it. But originally it was great house, great neighborhood. Got it. Everything wow. changed. Yeah. So what are some questions that you might ask somebody on an appointment? I like to ask people how long they've been there. Okay. Like how long have you, or how long have you owned the house? What was mm -hmm. the intent when you bought the house? What were you planning to do with it? That's something I just like to know because, oh, I was going to fix it up. What happened? I didn't didn't have the money to do it, or I I spent some money fixing these items, and then I ran out, and I just don't have the time to do this. Mm -hmm. what, why do you want to sell it now? I just want it off my plate. I just want to be done with it. the The price people are willing to. Uh, except for I just want to be done with it is a lot lower than, well, I just got, I just finished fixing it up and just want to sell it. Now I'm just, I, the market's hot and I just wanted to capitalize on that. Those are two different things. Mm -hmm. And so you asking those qualifying questions, sometimes you want to do that ahead of time. Yeah. It's going to tell you early on if, if it's going to be a fruitful experience or not. Yeah, uh, you don't want to waste your time going on a deal where they're expecting you to get to get twenty percent over the market value. You know, right? So another thing that I like to ask on appointments is, "Oh, hey, can you? How come this part of the house looks different than that part of the house? Mm -hmm. 
know, and get them to start talking and telling a story about the history of the house. Right. You never know what you'll uncover and what you'll learn. Yeah. How come you looks like you put a new deck on the back. Can you tell me when that was done? Well, we were starting to work on landscaping and we got this done and we were planning to do this and do that. And then it didn't get done. Why didn't it get done? What happened? What changed? Mm -hmm. You know, following you, you, without being too pushy, you want to find out the real purpose behind selling. Sometimes it is just simply, I'm done with the headaches of trying to fix this house up. I have been there, dude, my first house, I was at that point where it was like, I don't, maybe I should just wholesale this thing. Like I've already put this amount of effort into it. I was exhausted and this was supposed to be my first experience. And I was considering being like, I just want to be done. I was considering being a seller in a distressed position. I was there. So I yep. can relate to that. I got in over my head. There was too much for me to do. I can't get it done. I can't find contractors to, I pushed through it. I got it done. Now I have resources and now I know a little bit more about that whole process that I can help somebody that's there. And mm -hmm. if you do just want to be done, because sometimes you just get to that point and you don't want to, to push through it or you don't have the the means to continue, then I can help you. Yeah. How can I help you? I can buy it. I'll buy it in the distressed condition it's in. I've got the capital or the funds or I've got investors that are going going to be willing to fix this thing up. I can alleviate this stress point for you right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, I was looking at an eightplex the other day. I've got, I've done nine deals, uh, as you know, rental properties that were all really great deals, and a lot of them that I did full rehabs on. And it's been three or four years since I bought a house, and I wasn't paying attention to the rental properties, right? Because like the the software company Deal Machine was a bigger opportunity at the time. Then I looked back this year at the rentals, and I was like, holy cow. They just increased by almost half a million dollars in equity and I did nothing. And also the rents needed to be raised like quite a bit, like from 1900 to 2800 bucks on one house alone, right? So that was like a 50% rent increase um, just to bring it up to what everybody else was running their house for in the area. So I really got motivated to buy more properties because I was like, well, it'd be great if I had 30 of these things, you know, like that would have been amazing. And so I, I started looking at deals again and I will say this. It was funny, especially looking at the eightplex. It's not something I've really analyzed before. But when you get to talk with the seller, it's like, ooh, I'm like frozen because I haven't analyzed one before. Yeah. But the more properties that I've gone through in the past month and talked to and analyzed and made offers on, that just really gives me confidence when I do see a really amazing deal that I am not no longer concerned about the what ifs. I'm like, well, I've seen 10 deals mm -hmm. and this one is like a whole lot better than the last 10 that I offered on. So I'm going to quickly, with confidence, give an offer on that property. So if you feel like you do feel a little bit uncertain, I would just encourage anyone listening to go do as many as possible. And just simply taking action is something that will give you confidence, doing what you say you're going to do, doing what you're telling yourself you want to do, um, so I, I really want to encourage you to go on as many appointments um, as possible. Ryan, do you have any other advice for somebody who may be going on their first appointment today? No, I, I'm with you on that. Just just go and do it. The best way to learn is to just go and do it. And 
it's going, the more you do it, just like you said, you're going to get more comfortable in the process. You're going to get more comfortable what things to look at. We've given you a ton of easy things to implement in your walkthrough. Look at the big things. You don't have to get it all 100% right. You do not have to do that. And, it, and if you're, if that is a point of bottleneck where you're, you can't get your rehab budget, then find a couple investors that may have done some renovations, ask them what they spent per square footage and work backwards. All you need to know then at that point, once you've looked at the big ticket items, furnace, electrical, water heater, then you just need to know square footage, apply your dollar per square foot, and that's going to give you a ballpark. A lot of times that ballpark is all you're going to need to do to get this information to an actual investor who's ready to go. So the best way to learn is to do it. You can go and swing at a bunch of baseballs before you hit one. So don't be afraid to swing because one of those hits is going to be a good one. Every time, every time that I'm analyzing a deal, which happens after an appointment for me, in my case, by the way, I know a lot of people make offers at the appointment. I don't know if you do that, Ryan, but I don't, I say like, Hey, I'm going to make an offer for you guys within 24 hours. Let me just go back, look at all my numbers. And then I will reappear and we'll uh, have an offer for you to sign right away. That's how I've done it. Do you do them right in person? Yeah, I li- I don't like to leave without making that offer face to face because Ooh. again, you see when you throw that offer out there, you're going to see quickly how they responded to that. All right, so how do you really calculate the offer right there? Like what do you go back to your truck for 5 minutes or how do you actually calculate the offer? Uh I I, you know, some people do that whole, you know, they'll take a break, run some numbers and I'll be right back with you. And I've done that a few times. Um, Generally, I've gotten so used to, okay, I can calculate pretty quickly. A, I know my, my market really well. So I can, I can pretty get a pretty good ARV quickly because I've done enough deals over the course of time. I can quickly tell you, okay, this is worth this. Yeah, just just jumping in for those that don't know, ARV is after repair value. So perfect condition house, similar square footage and bathrooms. What did that sell for in the last six months? And you know, if you need to, if you need help finding that, you can call realtors, you can call appraisers, and they will help you identify markets. Okay, hey, a property in this neighborhood, what would this sell for completely flipped, or completely rent ready or rent grade? They'll give you a pretty good idea, and then really. All you need to have is an idea in your area. That's all you got to have, three bed, two bed. So for me, I know my per square footage. If I have to rehab it and it's a light, moderate, or heavy rehab, I know that. So I can calculate that quickly. Plus my high-level repairs and the ARV, and I just work those number backwards so I can get down to my offer. But I generally try to make an offer in person every time. Okay. Wow. I didn't know that about you. I just learned about that. So... That's really cool, Ryan. Whenever I make an offer, uh, I usually come uh, back on the phone and I'll give it to them via DocuSign. So do you have a printed out offer with you before you actually head over? I do not. Nope. It is. And, and the way that we do this, I'll make my offer. If they accept, um, I collect their information. Sometimes I have my, my contract. Oh, so it's a verbal hand. offer. You're giving them a verbal offer. Yeah. It's just a verbal offer. Okay. If they accept the verbal offer, then within five minutes, I'm going to have the contract in their hand to sign. And then, but you, you have the contract though in your truck. It's just blank. I have paper or if like sometimes in our market, we have a pretty elderly market. So 
paper is a little bit easier to have on hand. Um, but if they're you know, is it tech blank savvy, paper or is it an actual contract? No, I keep an actual contract. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's just fill in the blank. You know, purchase price, address, name, those yeah. types of things. How many pages is that contract that you Three. use? Mine is two. Yeah. Typical realtor ones, like 15 pages, right? Yeah. It's and insane. it's got so much in it. I think it makes people feel uncomfortable. And so I went and found like a three page. Yeah, they go cross-eyed looking at some of that stuff. And then they'll spend, you got to spend 20 minutes going over it when really for us, it's here's the price, here's the closing date, here's the terms, as simple as that. Right. I've actually heard you can close a deal on a napkin. I have yet to do that, but it's a goal of mine is to actually do a deal on a napkin because all you need is who's buying it, who's selling it, what's the address, when are you going to sell it, and what's the purchase price. And that's really it. That's all you need. try this. Yeah. If you're wholesaling it, there's a line in there. It's very simple. It says, uh, this uh, may be assigned. Right. That's that. That's at actually the line. Buyer allows or you as to wholesale it. Yeah. It's your purchase agreement that allows you to wholesale that that deal. Yep. And I'm I'm comfortable sharing my purchase agreement with a link uh, in this podcast episode, um, and then also I'm comfortable sharing my. So when I analyze a deal, I always go back to this deal where I renovated literally everything, and I use that as like a ballpark. Mm-hmm. And so if you guys want to see that, I'll put that in the notes of this episode as well as a reference point. Um, and of course, you know, consider different parts of the country might have different labor rates and stuff, but a ballpark tells you something, and that's always helpful for me. Yep, absolutely. Awesome, man. That's good stuff. I'm I'm excited to go on my appointment now, so... Yeah, good luck. Appreciate it. <laughs> well, all right. That wraps up our episode on how to do an appointment. And today what we covered was setting the appointment from the phone call, changing your mindset from being uncomfortable trying to get a good deal, and instead focusing on being curious and seeing how that you can help. Taking pictures of everything is very helpful. And Ryan actually gives an offer while he's on the appointment verbally. So there's going to be a little bit of analyzing a deal. Although on our next episode, we're going to take a deep dive into analyzing that deal and estimating renovation costs. Then if you're wholesaling it, you can actually listen to our episode after that, which will be about finding buyers and how to present that deal, finding a title company. And that's what we've got in store for you. So we can't wait to help you out. You can find Ryan at Heritage Home Investments on Instagram, and you can find me at DLECO on Instagram. Ryan, I wish you the best of luck on the appointment. I know that your team normally does that and you haven't done it in a while. So I'm very excited to see what happens and see if you still got it. I got it. It's there. I know it. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the Deal Machine Real Estate Investing Podcast. Please leave us a review and follow along wherever you're listening to your podcast.